The Word of God that comes to us today is from Jesus, who says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to treasure all that I've given you. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, we look at one instance of how Jesus' words are, for, are fulfilled. Uh, how we are brought into this story. His words are that I've got it all. All authority is mine. And what do I do with that authority? I, I'm telling you that I'll be with you. What I want you to do is make disciples. How do you make disciples? Jesus says, baptizing them and teaching them to treasure what I've given them. So today, I want to look at the text in Acts chapter 16. This is uh, the story of three conversions in the city of Philippi, which is a Roman colony far, far away from this mountain in Galilee where Jesus says go. But he shows us here in Acts chapter 16 that many people here, three very different people, came to faith and were baptized. And here we have all kinds of people. We have someone who is from the upper class, someone who is from the lower class, someone who's from the middle class. We have someone who's seeking God. We have someone who is violently opposed to God. We have someone who doesn't care about God. We have a woman. We have a slave girl. And we have a former GI, a jailer. We have all kinds of different peoples. And I think Luke is purposely telling us, among all the people in Philippi that came to faith, Here's three as an example so that you can see that this good news, that Jesus is Lord, this is news for you as well. Would you look at your epistle reading with me? I mentioned three conversion stories as Dan read. You maybe only heard two. We, hear, we see Lydia and we see this jailer. Who's, our, who's already heard these stories in the past? You've heard them somewhere along the line. Okay, so, so for some of you, these are new stories, which is great. There's another story where uh, we left off, and you can turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 16 for that second of the third stories. We'll just take a look at, at what happens here, and how this, it is amazing how the good news comes to these people. So the first one is, uh, take a look at verse 12, it says that they go to Philippi, which is a Roman colony. Uh, so this is basically an extension of Rome, it's far, far away from Rome. But the people here are kind of special. They're probably mostly former... The people in charge are former soldiers. They, um, they have Roman citizenship, which we saw at the end of the reading is kind of an important thing. Uh, very few people in the Roman Empire were Roman citizens. So they have... Uh, the people in charge here have a lot of power. Uh, and so they're at Philippi. Paul is there. Paul and Silas. And it says that they remained in the city some days. Usually when Paul went to a city, he'd go to the synagogue. Notice, there's no synagogue here. Right? It takes ten men, ten Jewish men to form a synagogue, but there it doesn't look like there's any Jewish men in this city that we know of. Verse 13 says, On the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down, and notice how they interacted here. And that's what I want to point out to you, is that the interactions here in each of these three episodes are incredibly different. There is not one way the gospel comes. But here, it comes through sitting down and speaking to the women who came together for something like a Bible study, a discussion over coffee. 
And then it says, verse 14, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Now there's a lot there. She's from Thyatira, which means she's from, she's from what they call back then Asia, Asia Minor. Uh, she's, a, she's not the same ethnicity as a lot of the city that, that is Roman. So she's, she's Asian, but she's also, it says that she is a seller of purple goods. She has her own business. She is, think of someone who is a, a CEO of a fashion designer company. Can you, Matt, can you picture someone like that? She looks good. She's successful. She's powerful. She has a lot of money. She has a house, we'll find out, here in Philippi. She probably has another house in Thyatira and maybe another house somewhere else. She is, she's wealthy. She's successful. And it also says that she is looking for something. She's a Gentile. But she, all the things in the Gentile world haven't satisfied her. All of her money has not satisfied her. So it says that she is a worshiper of God. That's a technical term for someone who is a Gentile who is becoming a convert of Judaism. Someone who starts to read the Jewish scriptures. Excuse me. Someone who's reading the Jewish scriptures and is coming to faith in the God of Israel. So Paul is sitting down with her. And she probably knows a lot about this story. So I can imagine Paul asking her, Hey, Lydia and and friends, what do you know about these scriptures that you're reading? And probably she said something like the story, which is, well, God said that through Abraham he would bless all the nations. And through the nation of Israel, there is this thing called the atonement, covering for sins, the animal sacrifices, an ability to come to God and pray because of those sacrifices. And also, the scriptures tell us that there is a hope for those who trust in the God of Israel. There is a king who will come to make all things right. I'm sure Paul heard those things and got excited. Well, why? Because all those things are true. She has learned so well. I can just see Paul, you know, metaphorically pulling a key out of his pocket and saying, look, I've got the key that unlocks all that stuff for you. The answer to all those things is this one named Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one through whom all the nations will be blessed, the son of Abraham. He is the one who died for our sins to atone for everyone. He is the one who will make all things right. Pretty cool, right? Yeah, that's the story. That, that is the truth that unlocks all of this seeking that Lydia is doing. And notice, it, it then goes on and doesn't say how great of a job Lydia did to understand this. It says this, the Lord, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. How did she come to faith? Did she try really hard to understand it? No, the Lord opened her heart. And this is what some of us have experienced. This is what we pray for others. It says to pay attention, which is something like to get it, uh, to understand it, to be attracted to it. So the Lord opened her heart. And after she was baptized and her whole household, she's a woman of faith now. And she says, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come, and st- come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. She persuaded Paul and Silas to make her house the center of the ministry in Philippi. There's no churches then, so her house, in essence, becomes the church. 
I've received this good news. I wanted to go out to the rest of the people here. Isn't that a great, great beginning? Some of us are like Lydia. The, the beauty of the gospel, the key of Jesus unlocking the scriptures has made sense to us. And we've been baptized. And we then want to be a blessing to others. Well, we could stop right there. But Luke goes on in this story. By the way, he's a, an eyewitness here. He says things like us and we. He's here. And you don't have this printed in your bulletin, but uh, in the, Acts 16 in, in the text, there's another uh, person uh, who is entirely different. Whereas Lydia is an owner, she, this next person is owned. She is a slave. And I'll read it. Take a listen. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. Different kind of woman. She is, she is a product. She is owned by her masters. And she has a spirit that lets her see beyond what any of us can see. She can see maybe the future, or she's, she's a fortune-teller, even though she's probably 14 or 15. She's probably been sold by her parents. They couldn't control her. Now she's owned by these people who use her. Uh, Whereas Lydia might be a a CEO, this would be the the girl who lives on the east side, who lives in a crack house, and who's who's rented out by a pimp. A little different, right? Does the gospel come to people like that, too? Absolutely. And so this is what happens. This woman is, is hostile. This girl, I should say, she's hostile because of the spirit in her. And it goes on, it says, uh, she fought, this girl followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Well, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It's absolutely true. These men are servants of the Most High God, and they proclaim to you the way of salvation. So on one hand, she is so right, but she hates it. Think of, uh, some of you have watched The Lord of the Rings. Some of you watched it or read about it, you know, 30 times, uh, a bunch of times. You know Gollum, right? You all know Gollum? Gollum, well, maybe you don't, but he's this, uh, this character who loves the truth, and he's always trying to, to find it, and yet, at the same time, he hates it, and he wants to steal the ring. So he's just a twisted person, and I, I, I picture this girl as being a twisted person. On one hand, she knows the truth more than Lydia, and more than, as we'll see, the jailer. But she hates it. So, does Paul sit down with her and have a Bible discussion with her? No. That wouldn't work. I don't know if I would recommend this to you, but this is what Paul does. By the way, this is an eyewitness account because it says, um, she kept doing this for many days, and Paul, having become greatly annoyed, right? Uh, we know it's an eyewitness. Luke was there. He's like, yeah, Paul was getting really ticked off. Right? If this was fan fiction, it would say something like, she, she, he was full of compassion. You know, but here it says, he was greatly annoyed. And uh, Paul, in his great annoyance, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Right? little different technique of bringing the gospel to her. This is a, instead of a Bible study, it's a power encounter. Not saying I recommend it, but the gospel comes to different people in different ways. All right, so that's the second person. She's owned, uh, and she is set free by the word, this power encounter word. And it goes on and says, 
that her, her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone. And they get mad. They seize Paul and Silas and drag them into the marketplace. And they basically make sure that these guys, Paul and Silas, they make a racial accusation. They say, these guys are Jews. And they're saying stuff that we Romans don't like. Okay, so the, the crowds go along with it. The magistrates go along with it. Paul and Silas beat with rods. Anybody want to be a missionary? They're beat with rods. They're thrown into jail. Now notice, at the end, as Dan was reading, they say, hey, we are Roman citizens. They could have pulled out their Roman citizen card at any moment. But they kept it in their pockets. Because they have a protection that the people who are coming to faith don't have. And so they, they decide to, um, to submit to this beating. And they end up in prison. So we see another character. This third one. Now this man is more like uh, a local guy who works in the factory. Uh, he's a hard-working man. He doesn't hang out on the east side in the crack house. He does not hang out in boardrooms. He hangs out at, at the pub. And he's just a common-sense kind of guy. He's not seeking God like Lydia. He's not violently opposed to God like the slave girl. He just doesn't really care. He's good. He's fine. Just going along with life. Can Paul come and speak a word to him? Could Paul found this guy and shared the gospel with him? No. Would not have made any sense. But God orchestrated it so that he could hear the gospel. Let's take a look at it. This is in your text of verse 25. It says this about... Well, let me back up just a little bit. Uh, He was given orders to keep him safe. Verse 24. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. This guy is is a rough man, this jailer. He's probably a former soldier or you know, higher-up person in the, in the army, and he's given this post as a jailer as his pension. It's an easy job. Just turn the key, right? You'll be well taken care of. And he's a violent man. It says that all he has to do is keep him safe, but instead it says he, he puts him into the inner prison where it's totally dark. And it says that he put them, their feet into stocks. Now, we normally think that's not a big deal, but this is a form of torture where their legs are spread apart. Uh, It adds to the pain they already have from being uh, beaten with rods. And here they are. This man is going to enforce the law to the letter, right? He's a rough man, and there's no way he can hear the gospel. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I imagine the jailer as well. Think for a minute. Paul and Silas, in the, they're facing the suffering. How do they react? With joy. With peace. This is supernatural, is it not? Can you imagine yourself, especially apart from God, like, okay, I just got beat up, got thrown in jail. Uh, I'm going to get my homies out, out here, and we're going to get out of here, right? But instead, he's praying to God, singing praise to Christ, not bemoaning the fact that this is unjust, even though it is, right? So he's singing, they're singing praise to God, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. God was at work in this way. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Now, what would you do if, there were, if you were shackled up, 
and there was an earthquake, and now all of a sudden the doors are open, you can get out, what would you do the first thing? Head out, out of here, thank you God, right? Of course you would. But Paul and Silas have this different perspective, and they know they're there for a reason. Uh, They have this connection to God. They're there for this jailer. And so Paul says, don't harm yourself, for we are all here. Now, it would be one thing for Paul and Silas to say, hey, let's stay because this is where God has brought us. It would be something else for them to tell everyone else, hey, just stay here because they're just going to get you anyway. Right? They've persuaded all the other prisoners to, to stick it, stay, stick in jail. Um, I don't know. I don't know how they did it, but that's, it's kind of a supernatural thing. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Why? Because Paul and Silas know they could have escaped. They now have this jailer's life in their hands. In those days, if a jailer let anyone go free, they would have the death penalty. And so, instead of running out, they show kindness to this man. They show forgiveness to this man. And it's these things. Their response to suffering and their response to cruelty. These two things do something in this man's heart. And he says, basically, whatever you guys have, I don't. Whatever you have, I need. And so he rushes to them and says, uh, he, he says to them, uh, he, f- he fell down before Paul and Silas, and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Right? How do I get what you have? What must I do to be saved? Obviously, you did something, right? How much did Paul and Silas do? Same amount they're going to tell him. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and all your household. How much do you have to do to be saved? You have to believe that the Lord Jesus died for you, rose for you, has come to save you. It is your Lord. And so he believes it. Um, Isaiah 45, verse 22, uh, says, Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. That's what we're to do. We're to look with faith. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him has eternal life. We're to look with faith and believe. Praise God. And so they spoke the word, and he also was baptized. Him and his whole family. Real quick, three quick things about this jailer, that the way he responded. One is, even before he was baptized, as soon as he believed, he started to show kindness. The kindness of a Christian. Now he washes their wounds, instead of when he first locked them up. So he has compassion on them. Second thing is, he shares his faith with his whole family. In the middle of the night, get up! You'll never believe it. And he shares it with everyone he knows in his family. And the third thing, it says that he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. He now has the same joy that Paul and Silas have. Jesus loves me, this I know. For Paul and Silas tell me so. Right? Well, the gospel is power, isn't it? This message that Jesus comes for you is power. It's not bound by any type of people, right? It's for the religious people. It's for the oppressed people. It's for the people who don't care. It's for every language, nation, all of us. And so we can rejoice in it, that Jesus has come for us all.
So I don't know how this story impacts you and how it might, you might be able to be a Paul and a Silas for others, uh, but God will use you. And whether that's with people that are upper class, lower class, or middle class, people who care or don't care, uh, God's word is powerful. The one thing we can do is share that word, and in the face of suffering, we can have joy. Jesus has it. And this, in the face of cruelty, we can have forgive. That's what he calls us to. By his grace, we'll do it. In the name of Jesus, amen.